everybody. Welcome back to It's a Fan's World. I'm your host, Maria. And if It's a Fan's World is recording, that must mean I'm not alone. My co-host, Kelly, are you out there? Hey, guys. How are you doing? I'm great. How about you? Very fine. A very nice, cool day today. Couldn't ask for more. Right? It's a great day outside. We always get great weather when we record. We do. We've been very fortunate with that. Yes. So, yeah, so if we're back, that means we are talking about Enchanted today. Oh, I love this movie. And I say that a lot, and I will probably say it even more as time goes on, but it's a good one. It is. And this this movie is a lot of fun. I think I forgot how much I really like this movie, and I think I said that the last time, too. But I, <laughs> yeah. like, that, I like that we're picking projects that are not something that we see all the time or for us personally, I, I don't know what the viewers out there watch in their spare time, but for us, they're things that we get to go back and revisit and it makes it fun. Makes it fun. I, I agree completely. And then especially it's like you said, like just going back to it. Some of these we haven't seen in years. I know this one I definitely hadn't. And it's just, you pick up on so much more coming back as an adult and it's just even funnier somehow because you get the little jokes and nuances even more so than you did as a child you do it's it's looking at that material from that adult perspective and you remember what flew over your head as a child and i mean for this particular movie enchanted came out in uh 2007 i was 17 at the time and some of it still flew over my head i was a little naive at 17 and now i'm looking back and i'm like oh yeah i got that i got that now I was 11, but definitely. Don't say that. <laughs> Don't say that. Oh, my gosh. All right. But same. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so uh, as we said, we're talking about Enchanted. It is the live action slash animated movie. It's both. So we're talking about Enchanted. Enchanted came out November 21st, 2007. I think that was Thanksgiving weekend that we mm. year. So this was, okay. the, this was the big Thanksgiving film did very well in the box office too i believe it did so this movie it did really well at the box office if my computer will cooperate i can scroll down in my notes uh it it cost 85 million to make made 120 Ooh. yeah right <laughs> just penny <laughs> penny cash petty cash of course uh made 128 million in north america and worldwide it made 340 million million so this movie was relatively successful and I remember, I remember back when this movie came out, a lot of the buzz around this movie was, even though the Disney Princess franchise had been out for, because I believe the Disney Princess franchise came out in 2001, and so it had been out for quite a while, but this movie was kind of meant to pump a little bit of life into the Disney Princess franchise, because Giselle was supposed to be the newest addition to the Disney Princess team. Or if oh, you if you want to call them a team. Amazing. Yes, but we will get into all that. We're kind of getting yes. ahead of ourselves here a little bit. So um yes. I think so. we're first gonna talk a bit about we're just gonna give a little background on the movie as well as some of the characters that are going to be discussed and then we'll just get right into the plot. Yes, yes, I agree. I think it's a great plan. So the movie was directed by Kevin Lima, which I love it. So I don't think we've talked about where we're from. And so we're about to give that away now because anytime <laughs> a 
person in Hollywood comes from Rhode Island, we it's, always it's get insane. A, it's insane. We get really excited. We're like, oh, they're from Rhode Island. So yeah. So for those of you out there, we are from Rhode Island and Kevin Lima, who directed the movie is from Pawtucket, Rhode Island. That's where he was born. So that was always like the fun fact for us for this movie, yes. but he's no stranger to Disney. He also was the co-director of Tarzan. I believe he directed a goofy movie, uh, the live action 102 uh, Dalmatians movie, um, which is. He also did the sounds of Pip. Yes, yes, I love that, that he was Pip when they were in the live-action parts in NYC. Uh, as far as music goes, uh, Staples, Alan Menken did the music, and Stephen Schwartz did the lyrics. So, right there, that's your that's your powerhouse team. Mm, it made for a very good mix of people to get together. It did. At, at this point even more so in the future. But at this point, Alan Menken is, he's what hes what the Sherman brothers were for Walt. He's a staple to Disney and his his career is Disney. I mean, not not to under, undermine <laughs> all the other things that he's done, but especially to a Disney fan, when you say Alan Menken, there's so many movies that come to mind. And if you were going to make something like this, I, I would want him to be my music guy. I agree. So before we jump in and we start talking about plot and characters and fun facts, I always like to ask you this question because it tips your hand a little bit early for the audience, but do you like this movie? Yes. Again, I will be this quite often. I apologize. I am biased. Like I said, it came out when I was 11 and I was just, pun intended, enchanted. I <laughs> I had to do I it. I'm you. sorry. I um, love it. <laughs> But yeah, I don't want to tip our hand too early because we're going to get into it um, as we go on. But I, I really love this movie. And it's just, it's something that stayed with me, you know, just the the topics they covered and how they went about it absolutely stuck. And I love it. And what about you? So I do like this movie. And that won't always be my answer because I'm determined for us to cover a bunch of different stuff. So sometimes this I'm like, true. I won't always be enthusiastic, but for this one, I did like this movie. This movie isn't one I have revisited often in the mm. recent past, but when it came out, I watched it quite a bit and I thought it was yes. the greatest thing since sliced bread. I was really into it. <laughs> um, it's a cute movie. I think it's, I think it's, I think it, it achieves what it sets out to do. It's absolutely it's it's filled with little callbacks and Easter eggs to all different kinds of Disney movies, but it tells a entertaining, warm, and funny story in a good time frame. It's got great actors and actresses who do a phenomenal job with their roles, great music, a fun story, and yeah, it just it's it's a nice, neat little cute film. Yeah, I like how it just, it takes like those common themes and just tropes you see, it gives them a little twist, some are reinforced, some are torn down, and yeah, it definitely, definitely a good one. Agreed. So, we'll, we'll start off with our list of characters. Yes. So we have our, I guess you could say she's our main character, we have Princess Giselle, who was played by by Amy Adams. And fun fact, Amy Adams was not the first choice for this role. Really? There were, I believe, one of the 
the actresses that was really in the running for this role was Reese Witherspoon. And oh, they, that would have, this, I would have liked to have seen what she would have done, but I, I like Amy Adams. And I think that she did a really great job. Mm. She's, she's not to be, I think she got an Oscar nod for this movie. Cause I think when I was doing my research, they said what this movie did for Amy Adams his career is what kind of happened for Julie Andrews and Mary Poppins, where Julie Andrews was known, but she wasn't what she was after Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins kind of projected her career into, you know, a different atmosphere. And I think that's kind of what happened for Amy Adams, where after this movie came out, she was kind of propelled forward and had a new little bit of limelight to stand. Oh, in. I, def I definitely believe it. Cause you figure it kind of sets them up for the next generation, like to become yes. popular with them as well. Cause like you get the kids all ages, but still, you know, get it in there. Yes. And um, I believe they said over 300 actresses auditioned for this movie, or they had a list of 300. And I believe they said Amy Adams was somewhere in the two eighties or the two fifties. I think she was like 287 or something like that. Mm. But I like it. I'm very happy. Uh, I'm very happy with performance. Not that my opinion counts, other than for this podcast. I think I think I think your opinion counts. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, wasn't it also stated somewhere that originally they weren't going to have her be a redhead, but they ended up liking it better, and that kind of shows some connections. Like they liked it, like with Ariel, other princesses. Yes, which is kind of funny because that's exactly what happened to Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Whenever we cover The Little Mermaid episode, um, Ariel was supposed to be a blonde. And oh. one of the reasons, there are a few reasons why Ariel wasn't a blonde. One of them was because Splash at the time had just come out, which Splash is a movie uh, about a mermaid who kind of, I've never seen it, but I know Tom Hanks is in it. And basically she's a mermaid that kind of has uh, a similar journey to Ariel's where she ends up on land and she falls in love with a human. But the actress who played the mermaid in Splash was blonde and they didn't want to copy that. But also when they were animating the underwater scenes, the blonde got washed out with the blue and it kind of looked green. She looked like she had green oh. hair. And they were like, eh, this doesn't look good. So they tried a bunch of different colors. And the red, that's why her hair is like a real red red and not like a realistic looking redhead. It's like fire engine red because it stood out against the colors that they were using for the ocean. And it worked. It didn't bleed or it didn't blend. So... Giselle kind of went on the same journey that Ariel did because, again, Giselle was supposed to start off as blonde and they ended up making a stylistic choice that she'd be better. I think Amy is Amy also a redhead in real life. Yes. Okay. So that, yeah. So I think also that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. So next up, we got Mr. How do you say Dreamboat, Mr. McDreamy? For those Grey's Anatomy fans out there, Dr. McDreamy, Pat, uh, Patrick Dempsey plays Robert Phillips, who is the Prince Charming in disguise, you could say. Yes. The unassuming Prince Charming. So in the movie, he plays one of the male leads. And when we meet Robert's character, he is very logical. He's the opposite 
of the other male lead who we'll get into. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's hysterical. But, and if you think about it, Giselle is the same way when we compare her to the other female lead we're going to talk about in a second. Uh, the, the four leads are completely different from each other where two out of the female leads, one is really logical, very sensible, very realistic, very forward and very modern. And the other one is the complete, you know, the complete, what you would expect from a storybook character. They're the complete trope of what it is to be a fairy tale character. Definitely. And one of the things I like most about um, Mr. Dempsey's character, Robert, is just like, he's, He's like the audience looking in, like as if these if these characters were to come alive the same way they come alive in the film. It's what a normal person would be like. Like, are you yes. are you real? Like he kind of has he's very hardened in the beginning, I feel. And as the plot goes on, he kind of like Giselle softens him and kind of gives him that like little bit of hope and magic back into his life. But I, I love his character development throughout the film. Yes, and Edward does the same thing for Nancy, whereas yes. Nancy is she's kind of cold a little bit, but Edward's charm kind of, you know, puts the magic back in her life and softens her a little bit. But we're we're jumping ahead of ourselves. So as we said, um Patrick Dempsey plays Robert Phillips, which yes. he is a very forward, career-driven, very logical uh approach to everything in life. Even his approach to romance is logical <laughs> and strategic and you know passion and dreams and whims don't don't hold well with him because they're frivolous and you need to be realistic and you need to be calculating and those are the facts that's the type of guy robert is robert's a fact man yeah i definitely agree with that then we have our other male lead prince edward who james is playing played, yes the lovable james marston who um I think I just said James Marston instead of Marston. <laughs> Bad Freudian slip from Red Dead. Too much Red Dead. Too, yeah, too much Red Dead. All right. So James Marsden plays Prince Edward. And as we said before, Prince Edward is the storybook prince. He's everything you would expect a fairy tale Disney prince to be with his big puffy sleeved outfit. He's <laughs> he's romantic. He's brave. He's dashing. dashing, all those adjectives. And he's a little bit of a dunce. I love he's him. He's a lovable idiot. He really is a lovable idiot. And he, I think a lot of the comedic humor in this movie comes from him. Yeah. And he, him and Giselle, but he really takes it home. Almost every scene he's in, he's making you laugh at a facial expression or something he says or something he does. And he, he gives a, an outstanding performance playing this lovable goof of a prince. <laughs> yes. And we have um, we have our last female. Well, one of our last female leads. I'm so sorry, Susan Sarandon. I'll get to you in a second. <laughs> but uh, one of our other female leads, uh, Idina Menzel, who plays Nancy Tremaine. Queen. queen. She's a queen in She's her own queen. right. Before she was Elsa, she was Nancy Tremaine. Yes. And uh, she doesn't have a whole lot of screen time in this, but... She is nonetheless one of our four female leads because she does play an important part of the story. And yes. she is Robert's girlfriend who um, we'll get to. We'll get to that. Does she stay his <laughs> girlfriend? Uh, and then we have uh, Susan Sarandon 
who plays Queen, the evil Queen Nerissa. Every scene that this woman is in, she owns. She does. Whether it's an animated form, and that's she doesn't get a lot of in-person, or I should say live action screen time. She gets more animated screen time. Um, live action screen time, but especially the parts where she is live action. Because to, to cross over from being an animated character to a live action representation of that character, to carry that persona, uh, James Marsden and Amy Adams only have to do it for a little bit because their characters are not animated for long. Mm. But Queen Nerissa is animated for most of the movie. So a lot of those over-the-top actions and the way you would act or voice act, I should say, an animated character, you have to kind of have figure out how you're going to channel that personality on the screen in live action. And she does a phenomenal job. I think she holds, like you said, and like I've said, she holds every scene she's in. She really sells this lead villain role and this classic Disney villain because she even she has a lot of callbacks to other villain tropes that Disney has done. In Absolutely. Films. So we will get into our love fest for Susan Sarandon's <laughs> character. Uh, Rachel Cavoy. I apologize, Rachel. I butchered your last name, Cavoy. She plays the little girl, um, Robert's daughter, Morgan Phillips. And she is the most cutest child on the screen. She pulls at your heartstrings. It is some of the scenes, it's like I tear up because I'm like, no, don't be sad. It's okay. Mm -hmm. She's just this, this adorable child. And she her, her character is a lovable character. And I love Morgan. I remember the first time I watched it, I loved the idea of Morgan, the fact that he has a child mm. because... Morgan, I think Morgan is one of the hearts of this film because yeah. she's adorable. Like you said, she's got some of the best lines and the best reactions. And I did. I just, I loved the idea of him having a child and Morgan is this sweet little innocent kid. One of the things though, too, is I love how besides the initial, like there's, we'll get into it later, but besides the initial denying her of like when she's like, oh no, she's really a princess. And He's like, no, Morgan, that's not true. He, they never, like, the way they portrayed her character, like, she's a very intelligent little girl. Like, they never, like, you know how some movies, they often, yes. the kids get, like, put to the corner or anything? They never yes. do that with her, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, they never play down to her. They never make her yeah. seem unintelligent, or, and Robert never really pushes her aside. He kind of decides for her sometimes, but you can True. tell he's always trying to be the best parent he can be, and he never pushes her aside. He'll decide for her, but he never pushes her aside emotionally or physically, and I always really appreciated that, that you can tell that as a character, one of Robert's priorities is his daughter's well-being. Exactly. And lastly, we cannot forget about Timothy Spall, who no. plays Queen Nerissa's henchman, Nathaniel. Oh, Nathaniel. He has quite a deal of character oh. development that we will touch upon as we go along, but he did an absolutely fantastic job. Um, you might know him from Harry Potter, um, Peter Pettigrew, but here he's just... He, he does well. He does well, and... 
Yeah. He's he's Nathaniel. Um he's he's the typical, you know, evil sidekick who he but he's not he's not evil. He's hesitant. You can tell that yes. he wants to do everything he can to que to please Queen Narissa and Queen Narissa wants to stop uh Giselle and Prince Edward from getting together at all costs, which we will get into. Yes. So, yes, so Nathaniel has quite a task and a lot to put up with throughout this movie. So his character is a, cha <laughs> is a champ. He's a true champ. Uh, and we cannot forget about Pip. He's not on our character yeah. sheet, but we, we can't forget about Pip. So Pip, not. Pip is Giselle. Every great Disney princess has a sidekick, and Giselle is no different. She has a chipmunk sidekick whose name is Pip. And Chipmunk, I think a Chipmunk was a good choice because he can blend in in her world of Andalasia, but he can also blend in in New York City. It would yes. it wouldn't be. I feel like if you know, like from Aladdin, if you had a tiger roaming <laughs> or or a snowman oh from Frozen, that might draw some imagine? attention. But Pip would be able to realistically weave his way and blend in around New York City. And if you notice, even when in the beginning, because he doesn't get much actual, he doesn't get a lot of lines because the only time he's really speaking is the beginning, the first, you know, couple of minutes of the movie. When or it's trying, when he's trying to convince the prince. But more so in the animated part, you can almost tell he's a New Yorker. He's got that, that accent and like his mannerisms. They they were setting up that whole New Yorker aspect because that sassiness that he carries over when he becomes a real chipmunk and and I liked that touch. I liked that when he comes to New York and everything becomes live action that he can't talk and he is a realistic looking chipmunk. So he has he gets to pantomime a lot of scenes and he <laughs> does he does a great job. And also very briefly, I know we mentioned it before. But um, the director, Kevin Lima, he is responsible for the voice of Pip. And I hear it's because originally off um, off camera, as the actors were trying to do the scene, like he'd be making the voices for Pip so they'd have something to react to. And I believe it was the editors watching it back. They loved what he did. And they're like, hey, you know what? Full throttle. Go for it. Voice Pip. And that's how it came about. And I huh. love that so much. I um, too. Forgive me if for any incorrectness or anything like that. I believe that's how it went, and I fully appreciate it. I do, too. That's great. And I, I love when directors and supporting uh, crew members uh, do anything they can to help the actors give the best performance. So just the fact that he was doing all of those voices <laughs> on the side only adds to his brilliance. And we appreciate Truly. it as an audience. We do. Um. So let's so this movie as we said it's 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 trying so one of the things that Kevin Lima said he wanted to do was given given the statement I'm assuming he's a big Disney fan but he said he, there are so many easter eggs and callbacks oh, yes. in this movie and he's not kidding because in almost every single scene you can find something, whether it's in your face or it's subliminal. That it could go all day on this alone. You, you could, you could, you could make it a whole episode just about all of the Easter eggs and nods that there are in the movie Enchanted to other Disney 
movies and they said they were willing to throw anything and everything in and boy boy did they ever the names of the characters alone to begin with it for those who are listening as we were going off the character list uh robert phillip nancy tremaine <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. for those of you uh out there prince phillip is the prince from sleeping beauty uh nancy's last name blah <laughs> Nancy's last name, Tremaine, is the name of the villain, Lady Tremaine from Cinderella. Uh, Julie Andrews is the narrator, which, for those of you out there, that was Mary Poppins. She plays Mary Poppins. Um, other Disney princesses made cameos in the movie. Yes. You have Paige O'Hara, who played Belle. Uh, she's on the TV in Edward's hotel room on the soap opera. You have Jodie Benson, who is the voice of Ariel. Uh, she is um, Patrick Dempsey's uh, receptionist at his law firm. And who's the other one? Uh, Judy, I believe. Judy, yes, yes. She is Pocahontas. She is the voice of Pocahontas. And she, I think she gets one of the best scenes <laughs> in the oh, movie. Yes. Uh, we'll get to this, but after Edward has been searching and searching for Giselle, um, she is the woman where after Prince Edward knocks on her apartment door, she opens the door and she is a mom that has three or four kids and Edward is standing on the other side prince in, his, charming. in his Prince Charming garb with his puffy sleeves and his, you know, he's, he's got the princely stance and she opens the door and she just looks at him and says, you're too late. And, and then his the reaction door. to yeah, he's like, my apologies. And he just like moves on. And I'm like, I even even the first time I saw this film, I was like, oh, that's that's great. <laughs> that's great. Um there's so many other fun things. Uh the Italian, so uh, again, we'll we'll get to all of these, but there's um there's a scene in the movie where Giselle and Robert are eating at an Italian restaurant, and the name of the restaurant is Bella Notte. Um that is a throwback to Lady and the Tramp. The lady, uh, the characters Lady and Tramp in the movie, they eat at an Italian restaurant called Tony's, and the song that Tony sings to them is called Bella Notte. Again, we say this a lot. We will get to it later. Don't want to touch upon it too much. But we also see cameos um, during That's How You Know, um, the song that takes place in central park later on um the gentlemen the older gentlemen who are sitting down they are the original chimney sweeps from the rooftop scene in mary poppins um, i love that i do i love and it's that so i think that's cute though it, it is and i think that's such a great nod that's such a subtle nod to disney heritage like you would never know that looking at them but reading that i was like oh i love that that's such that's 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 the the callback that I'm here for. <laughs> um, not to mention, um, you know, the themes like true love's kiss plus a prince equals happiness. Um, oh, yeah. True love's kiss is a theme you see repeatedly throughout the film. Um, again, we'll get a little more in depth in it later on. That's, but, been, you know. that's been a trope in several Disney movies. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's how you know, you know? So that, in addition to the clock having significance, you get throwbacks to like Cinderella, um, the clock striking midnight, the poisoned yes. apples, the storybook opening with Once Upon a Time and ending with the end and the closed book. And also, fun tidbit, 
the kingdom of Andalasia begins with an A. A lot of the kingdoms begin with an A for some reason. <laughs> I guess if you're from a Disney princess, if you're a Disney princess, you have to be from a kingdom that begins with an A. Because you have Atlantica, Agrabah, Andalasia, Arendelle. <laughs> like, uh, Moana broke the streak with Montanui. Now yes. that I'm thinking about it. I don't know if you can count New Orleans as a kingdom, but Tiana's from New <laughs> Orleans. But yeah, so majority of your Disney princesses come from a kingdom that begins with an A. So whether or not that was intentional, um, I'm calling it. I feel like they started it and then they're like, you know what? Let's keep this going. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just cannot break the trend. They're all from a kingdom that begins with an A. Yeah. <laughs> um. Um, moving forward, um, some more fun tidbits before we get into the plot and some important scenes that take place. Um, originally, this film was meant to be a much more adult film. Originally, this film was going to be a much more adult film. It was going to be rated R and released under a different title. But Disney ultimately decided, you know, to make it more a family-friendly picture and release it under a Disney label. But I always found that, I found that very interesting during research because you wouldn't think it. No, yeah, they, they were going to do it. <laughs> yeah, so I had heard that too. So I think the script was in product was was in was in development stages for quite some time, and it the had 90s. passed through really that long. Mm. Wow. So yeah, and it, it had gone through several hands. They had trouble trying to get a director attached to it, and then once Kevin Lima ultimately picked up the project, I don't know what. Well, so it wasn't Disney because I think Disney had acquired the script, but Disney has, you know, umbrella studios under it. And it was going to be a rated R film, like you said, and it was going to be much more adult, same concept, but much, much more adult. And I believe they said one of the, the plot points of the more adult film was Giselle gets recognized as a, uh, or mistaken, I could say, <laughs> Giselle gets mistaken as a street worker. Yep. So that would have been very, very different film. <laughs> very, very different film. But they ultimately decided, like you said, to make it family friendly, and it ended up going under the Disney film. But I want to see that version. <laughs> I want to see. I want to see the uh, the not so Disney version. I, yeah, I like. Yeah. I want to know what they were doing. Like, yeah. what, um... <laughs> I want. I want to see that version of the film. If if that version ever gets around to being made. I would go see it. I'm here for it. Same. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, animation, animation and live action was always an idea of a passion project for Disney because that for him was the ultimate. And that's why for him personally, again, we will cover Mary Poppins because that's one of my, that's one of my favorite films in general, but it's also one of my favorite Disney films. Um, Mary Poppins for him, for him to be able to seamlessly blend animation and live action together. It was a goal. So they did it. They did it in Mary Poppins. They did it with Pete's dragon, but not like on the scale of Mary Poppins. And then they did mm -hmm. it for who framed Roger rabbit in 1988. Mary Poppins, I believe was 1960 or 19. I believe it was, is either 60 or 61? Around there. It was right before, yeah, it was right before he passed. And I know Who Framed Roger Rabbit was in 1988. So this is the first live action animated movie mix from the Disney studio since 1988 to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
So again, mm. you know, and just again, that whole seamless, because that's, that's a Disney thing. Disney was the first one to do it. And every time Disney does it, they just get better and better at it. Absolutely agree on that one. I think um, for this movie, though, wasn't it at the time when they were starting to move over to computer animation? And this wasn't actually done by the Disney studio, right? So the animation wasn't. Yes, you're, you're correct. So at the time, so this is this came out in 2007, which at the time, the, two the 2D animation department was pretty much done because I think the last traditional 2D animated film that Disney had really, I mean, it's tough because Princess and the Frog is considered the last, but that was specifically and specially done. Mm. After Pooh's Heffalump movie in 2005, the studio had stopped all or majority of the production on 2D animated films and all future animated projects were going to be computer generated unless otherwise like noted or otherwise requested. So when they, so 13 minutes of this movie are animated. We keep talking about how it's a live action animated remake. Um, the beginning and the end of the film have animated scenes and it's 13 minutes total. And they did not have enough of enough equipment or enough animators to animate the 13 minutes of two dimensional animated or 2d animated material. So they actually had to contract it out. And I believe they contracted it out to an ex Disney animator by the name of James yeah. Baxter. And he did it in his own studio that he had in um, Pasadena, Pasadena, they, California. They were responsible for Curious George, I believe. Yes, I had read that too. So yeah, so little, uh, yeah, 2D. So cause, because everybody says Princess and the Frog is the last, it's the last real 2D animated film to come out of the studio, but... That's not kind of true either. It gets labeled as that, but the one that gets swept under the rug that everybody forgets about is the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie. Oh, that, that's right. That's the actual last piece of traditional, whether you want to call it 2D animation or traditional animation, that is the last piece of tradition, traditional animated content to come out of the studio. But to compare... The Winnie the Pooh movie to the Princess and the Frog. That's that that's a that's a big jump. The Princess and the that's Frog. Just a little bit. The Princess and the Frog is this gorgeous animated feature that, you know, is a masterpiece in itself. And then you have the Winnie No offense to the Winnie the Pooh movie, but again <laughs> if you watch the two you can see why Disney tries to say, Oh look, the Princess and the Frog was our last one. Not really, but sure. I would call that my last one, too. <laughs> All right, so, I think we're finally at the spot. We can get into our brief yeah, plot I description. Think, now that yeah, now that we've uh, we've talked about all that, we can definitely get into our brief plot description. And we say brief because, like we said on the last time on the Lion King episode, there are plenty of podcasts out there that will give you a 
point by point description or, you know, rehash of the movie. And we want to be a little bit different. So we're not going to totally dive into the plot. But yes, we're going to bare bones it and then just kind of focus on like some main scenes that we feel had great impact. Yes, we'll make sure you're not lost. If you've never seen this, you can keep up with us. Definitely. So the movie starts off, you get a storybook opening, which is a classic Disney princess opening. Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty all started with uh, storybook openings, and the director really wanted... The director wanted to highlight all of the Disney princess films, but... He especially wanted to highlight Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty. That is why most of the nods come from those movies. But there are other Disney movies. But it's mostly mm-hmm. it's mostly Snow White, Cinderella, and Sleeping Beauty. But anyway, as I said, you get a storybook opening. And you get the narration of Julie Andrews explaining to you that uh, once upon a time, this kingdom of Andalasia was ruled by an evil queen named Nerissa who wanted to stop her stepson, Prince Edward, from becoming king at all costs. So he made sure that he never found true love. And at that point, the camera pans into a adorable little cottage where you get our main character, Giselle. She is dancing around her bedroom. And this is another nod. If you pay attention in the corner, she's putting together her quote prince charming which that's something that aurora did in the forest scene do you remember the scene from sleeping beauty when princess aurora is dancing and the animal the forest animals find prince philip's cape and boots and hat and they put it on and they dance with her like she's dancing with the prince the mannequin up on that that's true yeah the mannequin is a callback do that and another fun fact if you look at how the mannequin is dressed and styled it's patrick dempsey's character from the end of the movie that is the outfit that he wears at the end of the movie i remember you telling me that and props to you for your attention to detail on that level like that's impressive <sighs> and that it is cool like i did not notice it the first few times around but it's cl- it's clever i like how they slip stuff in like that it is, and I think it shows the devotion and the, the time that was spent putting this movie together and the thought and the detail that went into it. But yes, so like every, this pains me to say this, but like every typical Disney <laughs> princess, Giselle is dreaming of true love's kiss and, you know, a prince that comes with it. And as she, she's dreaming, we meet Prince Edward, who is, troll wrestling in the forest he (laughs) has been hunting trolls majority of his life to keep himself busy him and nathaniel are out in the woods when they hear uh no she's not a princess yet when they hear giselle's um beautiful voice singing about meeting a prince and because it's a disney movie (laughs) giselle and edward are singing the same song they finish they're both looking for someone to finish yeah exactly (laughs) like we just did (laughs) but um yes so he follows her beautiful voice he meets Mm. her and she literally falls into his lap and they start singing and you know because they started singing and they finished each other's duet they declare that they shall be married in the morning 
Oh, it would be such a to... different world if things worked like that. Uh, you know what? Like, because you, you can't marry, because you, apparently you can marry the man you just met. But I love anyway. how they bring this so, back a lot. You can't marry someone you just met in a day. You just, just met. can't do it. Elsa said it. You can't marry a man you just met. Exactly. Thank, thank you, Elsa. Thank you, Elsa. <laughs> so, yes. So, um, and then we see that Queen Nerissa is spying on Edward and Giselle from her magic cauldron. And we get a foreshadowing of a shadow of a dragon, which that'll come up later. But she's not that despite her best efforts and Nathaniel's best efforts that Prince Edward has found love. The next morning, Giselle arrives at the castle. But... She doesn't make it to her wedding because Nerissa nope. transforms into an old hag and pushes Giselle through a magical wishing is through is it a wishing well? It's a wishing I, I well. It is a yeah, wishing well. It's always the old hags though. I feel bad. Like so <laughs> they just give the old spinster ladies that we're gonna are the, um, I'm, I'm not gonna put you in that category, that I'm gonna become a bad name and uh, uh giselle falls through this this enchanted wishing well and she ends up in new york city yes and this is one of the scenes is... we want to talk about because this scene yes this scene is great gorgeously scene, animated too yes the way they animated the fall that's mm. great and i like how she gets stuck in that like limbo land between the two worlds where all the blue dots kind of attach to her and she becomes real. Yes. And then like you see her eventually, like she becomes like a normal living 3d person and you see yes, her in this her is beautiful where, wedding dress. This is where it switches over to live action. And fun fact, that wedding dress is a callback to Ariel's wedding dress in the little mermaid with the puffy sleeves. I thought it looked familiar, but I couldn't place oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. That, that very puffy, puffy <laughs> wedding dress. I heard um, it was 45 pounds, and a stunt woman had to teach Amy Adams how to walk in it because it was just that heavy. This poor oh woman. Oh, my gosh. I had heard that, too. And 40, can you imagine twirling oh. and, and, and walking around New York City in... Whether whether purposeful or not, because the obviously they had control over the environment, but she has to walk through mobs of people in this in forty-five heels. in heels in this forty-five pound cream puff of a dress, and she can't <laughs> and when she can't even fit through the doors because remember the scene in the elevator when she's trying <laughs> yeah. to get out and then she's trying to get into Robert's apartment, she gets stuck in the door. Yes. <laughs> kind of makes you wonder about all those Disney princess dresses we used to drool over. Same. It's like, is it worth it? And then it's kind of uh, the small part of you, yes. But the other part is, no, my poor uh, back. Yeah, my back. I'm, I'm going, no. For 45 pounds, no. Yes, yeah, so Giselle ends up in New York City. She is overwhelmed. She is frightened. And it's perfect because I feel like that's how we would expect an animated character to react in New York City. Exactly, especially if you've never seen such technology before. Um, they br she comes up out of a manhole, and that's kind of a running joke, too. As they're transported from the animation to the live action, they come up from a manhole into the middle of New York City, and the reactions of the people as they come up and enter are hysterical and different and unique 
for each character, for Giselle, Prince Edward, Nathaniel, and the evil queen. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing. I think um, with Giselle's arrival, she almost gets run over, knocks over a table, and just gets lost in the crowd. And it's through this series of unfortunate events that she meets Robert and Morgan. Yes, yes, she does. So she meets Robert and Morgan, and um, you know, Robert. Robert very sarcastically welcomes her to New York, and she thinks that he thinks that she's a delusional nut. And Morgan's <laughs> like, "No, she's a real print." Morgan's buying it, you know, a hundred. Yes. She's buying it full force, and she's like, "No, she's a real princess." So somehow Morgan persuades Robert to take Giselle back to their apartment, but uh, Robert is not having it. He tells her she can just stay for five minutes and dry off because it's raining outside this rain. Uh, the scene takes place during a like torrential downpour type weather. And so they're all soaking wet. Giselle is soaking wet, but Giselle is soaking wet in a 45 pound white ball gown. <laughs> so Robert tells her you can dry off and use the phone, but you gotta go. And as he is telling Morgan to stay away from her and that she's not a real princess, she's a crazy person, Giselle falls asleep, which brings us to the next morning. And one of the funniest and most fun <laughs> songs in the movie. I never thought cockroaches could clean. Rats and mice, oh. rats and mice and pigeons, sure, because Cinderella taught us that. The rats and the mice and the pigeons clean, but even even better is her reaction because, as we know, animation these friendly wooden creatures they don't look as they do in real life, and she sees these cockroaches and rats come up, and obviously they look real, and she's like, hmm. She's like, well, it's always good to make new friends, and she makes do with it, and she cleans that apartment top and bottom. And Robert and Morgan, can you imagine awaking to a house full of rodents? Absolutely. Well, it's also funny too because, like, if you think about in the animated film where the film starts off, it's obviously in this adorable enchanted kingdom. So she has all these for, and she's a princess. So every Disney princess can talk to animals. That's always that's always a thing. So Giselle is friends with all these little woodland creatures, like you said. But there wouldn't be woodland creatures running around New York. <laughs> there would be pigeons, rats cockroaches and flies so and that's the, what we got <laughs> and that's what we got and just the fact that they call to that and that's what like answers her call when she you know calls sticks out her head out the window and starts singing which i thought that was hysterical that she just starts singing and like all these rats and cockroaches show up but yes i i would have freaked out way harder than robert when i woke up and found all that in my apartment i don't care if they're cleaning or not um yeah, that that scene kind of made my skin crawl. But that song is a fun song. It is a fun song. And it's funny, too, because if you listen to the lyrics, I think she even says, even though you're diseased or something. Like yeah, she's that. like, even though you're vermin. And I'm, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and they're cleaning the dishes. Yeah, they're cleaning the kid. I think it's also, I like the part where the rats are using their tails as, like, squeegees to, um, yeah. to squeegee the microwave with the soap. Uh, and the cockroaches clean the bathtub. Oh, 
I got squeamish on that one. I'm not even yeah, going to Yeah. How about when Robert's hands, I mean, I'm, I hope it's computer generated because if not, Patrick Dempsey, I give you credit, but where he sticks his hands on the cockroaches oh. on the table and they crawl oh, no. on them. I'm like, uh, I'm like, nope, I'm good. Um, that got me. Yes. For the folks out there, I, I don't do bugs. I don't do bugs or rats and cockroaches really draw. I really draw the line yeah. at cockroaches. Even worse, um, as the scene ends, although I love the number, the pigeon eats one of them. I know. I said that. I said the pigeon eats the cockroach. That's a very New York thing. That's a very realistic thing. I feel like that would not happen in the animated oh, version. If if we were to get a not. full animated movie of this movie, that would not happen. But again, the humor in this movie is really great. And is. that is, that's a fun, that's a fun moment. Moving, moving forward, we definitely have to talk about the bus scene. The bus scene is amazing for many reasons, but fun fact, the people laughing and pointing as Prince Edward. Oh, well first, sorry, I got ahead of myself. Prince Edward's arrival into New York City is even more adventurous than Giselle's. Um, you, you see the workers, um, these workers come to fix the manhole that Giselle had come pop, popping out of. Um, and <laughs> Prince Edward just, it's like whack-a-mole. Like he just pops out of the manhole, <laughs> poses heroically, and they're like, yes. who is this guy? And Prince Edward holds the man at sword point and says, I'm like something along the lines of, I'm looking for a beautiful woman. And the guy's like, we kind of all are, buddy. Yeah, I love that. He's like, yeah, I, I, I get that. I want one too. And, and, <laughs> and, and, you know, Edward, Edward totally switches roles from, uh, menacing prince on a mission to lovable goof because once he yeah. realizes that uh, Giselle's not there and these men mean him no harm, he's like, then what does he say? He's something like, you know, search well or good luck in your yeah. search. And then he literally dashes away and he's like, come along, Pip. And like, they just run away. And they're literally the, the gentlemen who are putting or fixing the manhole cover. They're like, what was that? Are you okay? As um as um Prince Edward is getting into shenanigans almost immediately following his arrival is Nathaniel's because Nathaniel decides to volunteer himself to go after the prince to stop him from finding Giselle because he wants the approval and affection of the queen who kind of manipulates his um weakness to that. And as oh, he yes. pop yeah, exactly. And as he pops up. The same poor guy is just trying to fix the manhole. They're like, where do these guys keep coming from? And <laughs> I caught that line. <laughs> it's amazing. And he's like, so what, you're looking for a princess too? And he's like, no, I'm looking for a prince. And the reaction. Yeah. <laughs> the that reaction. was great, though. I loved that. I'm looking uh, for a prince. Um, but if you also <laughs> notice, Nathaniel comes butt first, whereas Edward like pops. And again, I think it's got to do with their characters. Like Nathaniel comes butt first. Like he's kind of fumbling yes. out of the hole. Whereas like, like you said, Prince Edward literally pops up out of the hole. <laughs> um, but yeah, so now Prince Edward and Nathaniel are in New York City. They, Prince Edward is trying to hunt down Giselle while Nathaniel is trying to hunt down Edward, hunting down Giselle. But Giselle is off with Robert. She went to work with Robert where we get our scene with Jody Benson, who she plays the receptionist. Um, yes. And part of your world is playing in the office where Robert works. It is amazing. Yep. And there is a scene where 
um, they scoop up, uh, Giselle goes over to the fish tank and just scoops up some water. You think it's to drink. And as she turns to Jody Benson with part of your world playing in the background, she spits out a fish into the cup. It was just weird. Even in the movie, I was, I, oh. I, I, I had great empathy for Jody Benson because I would have been right there with her because Jody Benson's character just gives her a look like, where are you? Where did you come from? Who are you? Oh. What is this? So poor, poor Jody. She's left with a task. Robert, as Robert goes into his meeting um, to help this couple file for a divorce, Jody is left. Jody's character is left with the task of trying to find out who this girl is, where she's from, and she is unsuccessful. Um, we find that out a few scenes on. So, yeah. So, we talked about the... Uh, we kind of skipped around a little bit. So, yes. We talked about the office scene. We talked about when Nathaniel and Edward pop up. Between all that, you have to talk about the bus scene in Times, yes. Square, Times Square. There is so much in this scene. <laughs> and fun tidbit. They're filming this in New York City. Of course, there's millions and millions of people around. The people who are pointing and laughing at Prince Edward, poor, poor Marsden, are actually real tourists that just kind of, they weren't extras. They made their way into the scene and were just watching this spectacle go on. I love that because it sells it, it sells it more. It gives it that authenticity that you can't recreate. And just the fact that they're, I, I love that he he thinks the bust is a foul beast and he tries to kill it. And then he like, like hangs his head down through the window and he's like, no, no need to fear peasants. I have freed you from this foul beast. And the bus driver is like, are you nuts? Get off my bus. And she, she has the Mickey Mouse ears. Yes. Yes. The director said they purposely styled her hair to look like Mickey Mouse ears. It's beautiful. I thought that's so cool. I love that. Um, but yeah, so she's like, yeah, you like you said, she's like, get off my bus. <laughs> <laughs> so that that is again, I, I love that. I and that that scene wasn't all of the trailers. That scene was on all the TV clips. It was one of the scenes that I remember when I went to go see this in theaters, because I saw it twice in theaters. Um this was one of the scenes where you, once you knew it was coming, you looked forward to it. It had everybody laughing. Um, it was just, it, there's something about this humor and this and scenes like this have been recreated in films like this, but it just never gets old. That, that whole, that animator, that animated, that animated character reacting to something that is foreign to them. It, it never gets old. It really doesn't. And again, there's just, so much found in this scene like the billboards if you look around like as edward standing atop the bus you see um a low um forgive me a billboard of superman returns and like all um you see one for wicked like you see all these things it's just like fourth wall breaks and i just love mm -hmm. it yes for those of you out there who are wondering why we picked up on that uh, super the Superman movie James Marsden who plays Prince Edward he was in that movie and the Broadway show Wicked uh, Idina Menzel who plays um, Nancy she was the one of the female lead roles she played Alphaba yes so yes and then um, this is something that's like neither here nor there but I thought was cool uh, when Giselle pops up out of the manhole cover and they do like the 360 sweep of New York City uh, and, and Times Square, they show the Virgin Records store in Times Square, and 
I don't know when this happened, but eventually the Virgin Records store closed and the Disney store is now in that location. So if is you, it really? Yeah, so if you were to look at like a modern photo of Times Square, where the Virgin Records store was is now the Disney store. And that because because I me when I saw that when it panned when the screen panned over that, I was like, Oh, that's so cool. That's where the Disney store is now. <laughs> I'm like, that's really cool. So neither here nor there, but kind of, kind of, kind of relevant. A fun fact. I, I think it was relevant. I think it was, it was good. So, yep. That's where the Disney store in Times Square is. So, yes. So, yep. So we see, uh, you know, Edward and Nathaniel are out braving New York city looking for Giselle. Uh, Giselle completely messes things up for Robert at his office. So he and takes her out into the street. And his relationship, yes, we, we didn't talk about that, but Nancy came over in the morning and sees Giselle in Robert's apartment and finds them in a very compromising situation. <laughs> just a bit. And uh, she, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's like, uh, I'm out. You're, you know, this relationship is done. So Robert's having a tough morning. He lost his relationship. His daughter was late for school. And now Giselle just messed things up for him at work. And you can tell from his work setting that he's obviously a big New York City attorney. So he's done with her. He's like, get lost. Here's a couple bucks. Get out of my face. And she sends, he sends her off. And doesn't she start talking to the lady that was on the bus, one of the yes. elderly ladies? So um, as Edward was conquering the beast that was the bus, he stabbed a sword through it, and that sword hit this poor woman's baggage. And coincidentally, the woman uh, Giselle runs into after saying goodbye to Robert, and the big softy looks on, she ends up talking to this woman, and she's like, oh yeah, I saw your prince, he almost killed me. And it was just another just bit of humor thrown in that just <laughs> broke it up. And yeah, just, I, it was hysterical. I love, I love I that. Love she, yes. Uh, yeah, so, um, so Robert, like you said, I love the way you put that because it, 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 he is a big softy and it's a part of his character that comes out more and more as his character develops in the movie. Yes. Giselle does bring out that big softy in him because when she first meets him, there's nothing softy like about his personality, but no. she really brings that out in him. So, as you said, the big softy looks on. He rescues the old lady by telling Giselle, like, you can't just go up and talk to random people. And you can't believe them when they say they know who your prince is. Even so though he, she was right. <laughs> even though she was right. See, sometimes you should listen. She was right. Um, but this leads to... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I'll let you take it because we were going to get into the same thing. So go ahead. Um... I'll just begin and I'll let you finish. Um, this leads into this huge scene that everyone who watches, who's seen this movie or the previews will know about. It's the That's How You Know number. It took 17 days to shoot, in part because a lot of people just weather, but, you know, fans of Disney and fans of poor Mr. Dempsey just kept crashing it. Um, huge, huge production, and I'll let you take over. Yes. So, uh, like, like you said, this, this scene, I believe it takes place in Central Park. Yes. Um, it's, it's a big, massive Central Park dance number, music number. It incorporates basically anything and everything you would see in Central Park because you have, uh, bride and grooms taking pictures. You have maintenance workers, you have musicians, you have street performers, you have, um, 
you have I oh I, I couldn't think of it, but I just got it back. You have the gentlemen. Remember how we said the gentlemen who were the chimney sweeps and Mary Poppins? Yes. This is where they are. They're all sitting on a bench. And I know those old ladies were something. I'm 90% certain as the old men, because the old men who were the chimney sweeps end up pairing up with these old ladies. Um they were something too, but I don't remember what, and I couldn't find it in my research, but I think the elderly women in the scene are also a callback to something else. But so you have all these different street performers and it's a big montage number. And again, there's hundreds of Disney um, throwbacks in this one. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a, a horse drawn white carriage. There's a candelabra that comes up to Giselle and Robert when they seem to have a picnic and, so basically this song starts off because Giselle just starts singing like any good Disney character, especially a Disney princess would. She just starts singing her feelings and her emotions and what she's thinking. And Robert's like, no, 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 you don't, you don't have to sing. Let's just, let's just talk and walk. And the street performers start singing her words back to her. So this starts off the musical number and uh, a trope for Robert throughout the song is at first he's like, how does everybody know this song? Which that was one of my favorite lines <laughs> yeah. as, as like different people are getting involved. He's like, how does everybody know this number? And um, as the song goes on, he's kind of loosening up, dancing a little bit. I like at the end when he's sitting on the fountain, his, his he's head nodding. is, yes, his head is just kind of like bobbing along and then he catches himself. He's like, wait, what? Um, one of the things, things I love from this scene too is, um, since Robert's relationship is falling apart, Giselle finally understands and she decides to be a wing woman and help him out. And as they're going through this montage, at one point she's like, she gets these doves together, makes a flower heart wreath and is like, bring these to Nancy. And Robert's like, they don't understand you. <laughs> yes, I love, I, and I'm really glad you brought that up because I forgot about that. But yes, uh, okay. Giselle, Giselle is a non-toxic Disney woman. She she's is beautiful. fully support. I love Giselle's character because she is she she's a she decides to be Robert's wing woman once she understands that what happened this morning compromised Robert and Nancy's relationship. She yes, she you know sends these doves off with this flower. Blah flower heart wreath and like you said robert's like wait what What do you mean they're just doves they don't know how to find her and, and at then, the end of the montage yes and at the end of the montage she calls him she's like oh my god these flowers are beautiful and he's like you got them i i love it too because they mentioned um later on she's like this is so unlike you it's so more romantic usually you send me those email flowers and i'm like that's very telling of a five-year relationship all you've ever given her is email flowers. well again it's that because robert's character is he's his character at the beginning of the film is he's against those big elaborate romantic gestures because everything is logical and everything you know i feel like robert's character in the beginning of the film would send e flowers because he would find all ways <laughs> to justify that but again it shows character development for both of them because nancy doesn't get a whole lot to work with because she has so, so little screen time unfortunately but that's a big for for where her character ends up at the end of the film, that's a big reveal for her that she is into those old fashioned storybook romantic gestures, and she appreciates that he is doing something like that for her. And definitely, this is where the film kind of slows down because there's there's not a, there's no more songs, I believe. Um, no, 
Yeah, there's no more songs. So the film kind of slows down and it follows our uh, three leads. Because again, Nancy, unfortunately, kind of takes a back seat until the end of the movie. But it follows uh, Prince Edward and Nathaniel are roaming around New York City. And we see various scenes of him looking for her. At one point, they check into a motel that is called the Grand Duke. Again, from Cinderella, the Grand Duke was the one who had to go house to house to house looking for the girl to fit the slipper. Giselle and Robert end up going to the Italian restaurant Bella Notte with uh, Morgan for dinner. And uh, that is where Pip finds uh, Giselle and Giselle is ecstatic to see Pip. And he tells her that Edward is looking for her. So now that she knows that Edward is in New York city um, and this is something we haven't talked about, but throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole, that's how, you know, montage and, and especially at the pizza parlor where Giselle and Robert are having dinner. Nathaniel has been playing a double agent. Because Nathaniel oh, yes. is doing everything in his power to keep Giselle and Edward from finding each other. Poison but apple. Yes, but Narissa also sent Nathaniel with three poison apples. So he has three attempts to try to get Giselle to take a bite or eat or consume this poison apple in some way. And... Um, to make not her working too well. No, it's not working too well at all. <laughs> and the uh, he meets up with them in Central Park, and he disguises the first apple as a caramel apple, and he's a street vendor selling them. So she ends up tossing that away when she starts dancing and singing, and it ends in a biker's helmet, and it melts oh, the man. helmet. That poor man. <laughs> um. Then he catches up with them at the pizza parlor, and he crushes he. Uh, poses as a waiter and he has uh, turned the apple into an apple martini which I thought that was pretty clever even at 17 I thought that was a, a clever modern way to get her to try to eat this I love Robert's apple. reaction even more though he's like why do people keep giving you free things yes and it's always him it's always Nathaniel who keeps because the po the caramel apple was free the martini and this is all in the same day so yeah mm. so I feel that's appropriate for Robert's character to be like why do people keep giving you and it's always food why do people keep giving you free stuff and I again 17 didn't catch it uh now, as an adult, uh, when she's like, oh, what's this? And he's like, oh, yeah, they'll creep up on you. Doesn't he say they're poisonous? And, like, Nathaniel kind of looks at yes. him and he's like, he's like, what do you mean? Like, afraid that he's found out. And Robert is talking about a completely different poison. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll creep up on you. Enjoy that. I definitely did not catch that the first time either. <laughs> well, I hope not. You were 11. I was 17. <laughs> I was just naive. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, so, yep, so Edward is in his hotel, and he is watching TV, and fun fact, all of the stuff that Edward sees on his TV throughout his stay um, is Disney-owned content in some way, shape, or form. Paige O'Hara is actually- Isn't it? I love it. Paige O'Hara, who was the voice of Belle in the animated Disney movie Beauty and the Beast, she is seen playing a character on a soap opera. Um, so that's another Disney princess call back. <clears throat> um, 
Edward sees that a news reporter is covering that a rodent was found at the pizza parlor and they interviewed Giselle because that's who Pip interacted with. So Edward sees Giselle on TV and he's like, yes, I found you. And then he sees Robert escort her away. And he's like, no, he's like, who has my princess trapped or something like that. So, uh, the news reporter says her uh, location and he takes off in, you know, search of Giselle. He uh, ends up at Robert's apartment building, knocking on every door. Every door. And this, this leads to a great montage of things. The, you know, this is where uh, Judy Kuhn gets her uh, you're too late moment. Um, I like the door with the cat. When he, yes. Uh, there's a, there's a door that opens where he gets a cat hiss at him and you know the uh, and he hisses back at the cat i thought that was a lot of fun um what else there's a few other ones that he runs into and then eventually he collapses in um exhaustion and the screen cuts to giselle and robert and morgan and you see Giselle putting Morgan to bed. And it's a very soft moment. And I like how it's a kind of lull because she's telling um, Morgan a story. And you see Robert in the background looking on. It was commented on earlier in the film how Nancy had never stayed the night. So it was mm. just, it was just, it felt very impactful for the characters. And it just that like family, I don't know. It was just really sweet scene. And then afterward, you see Robert go to Giselle as she's sitting in the parlor. And he's like telling her, you know, if Edward doesn't show up, I want to help you. And it's he's like, you know, we're friends and everything like that. And Giselle's adamant. She's like, no, Edward is coming. I just know he is. And Robert's just like, no, he's not. And you see Giselle get all worked up. And we talked about it before. So I'll let you take over in a bit. But I just, I love this scene because you see her get built built up and built up and then she's finally like no no is your favorite word and you see her punch back at him and literally exactly and she's like i'm angry and you can see the surprise on her face and then the elation and she's like i'm angry and it's like it's true you never see a disney princess who gets angry and not just a disney princess but i feel like in society most often women are meant to be meek and mild and polite and it's like no it just i love that scene yeah, so you were actually, you had started this conversation when we were talking about it uh, off the air. But yes, that is a, you don't often see Disney female characters, especially animated Disney female characters, get angry. Especially, a few princesses have gotten angry. Um, Ariel shows a little bit of anger yes. at Ursula and her father. Uh, same thing with Belle and Jasmine. Belle shows a little bit of anger towards Gaston, and she does get angry with the Beast at times, and Jasmine does show anger towards Aladdin and Jafar in certain scenes, but they never have a full-on angry moment. I Although, no, that's not true. Jasmine does get really angry at Aladdin. This is true. When she says, I'm not a prize to be won, but... That it's not a big moment. They don't make a big deal out of it the way they make a big deal out of it in this movie. And especially mm. for the three original princesses, um, Snow White, Cinderella, and Aurora never get angry. No matter what is thrown at them, no matter what they are put through, they're always remorseful and handle it with grace. And, you know, I, um, I especially did a pri one of my uh, papers I did for my undergrad career. Um, 
I actually looked at, you know, movies and especially the animated films of the fifties. And oh, um, I remember that, that paper, yeah, that that class <laughs> oh, and that, that paper. One. So you could say that um, Aurora Cinderella and Snow White are really women of their time, whereas Giselle yes. is becoming as the as she spends more time in our world in modern day New York City, she is having tremendous character growth and she is becoming a more real person. And I feel like today. I would hope it's more acceptable for women to be more real and have real emotions and real, you know, moments. And like you said, the elation, when she has that emotion, it's almost a moment of clarity for her. She's like, yes, yes. I'm angry. I'm angry at you. You're upsetting me. You know, I am upset. And he's I like, I love that. And he just I accepts it. And he does. He accepts it. He doesn't tell her, you know, you shouldn't be angry. He accepts it. He's like, oh, well, sorry, I made you angry. And he sticks to his guns, too, because he's like, you know, I'm sorry I made you angry. Yes. But you need to know that your fairy tale prince isn't just going <laughs> to knock on the door and say, I'm here to take you away. But fun fact, oh. Disney, Disney <laughs> loves to prove a point because that's exactly what happens the next morning. Uh, you see, yeah. you see Giselle, uh, uh, Robert, and Morgan having breakfast. And fun. Another thing we haven't talked about. Uh, a little tiny side note: all of Giselle's outfit outfits are made out of Robert's <laughs> curtains. Good thing she didn't stay more than two days because I don't think Robert had any more curtains in his apartment. But there'd be nothing left. There'd be nothing left. But I love the dress that she wears in this scene. I always thought the dress yes. that she wore in the That's How You Know montage throughout that day, I always thought that dress was really, it, you can tell it, it goes with her character growth because if you look at that other one, that other one was a long dress that, had story-like elements to it that I feel like you would see in an animated princess film. Whereas this dress, it's an off-the-shoulder dress. It's a short dress. It's almost like oh, a tea party dress. That. Yeah, it's more modern. It's modern as it it's, goes and, on. And in, even the colors and the designs, it's less storybook because it has a pattern to it. It um, It's more modern, and I think it, it has to do with her character growth. But I also just love that dress. I really like, I remember <laughs> watching that scene for the first time at 17 and going, I really want that dress. And now <laughs> as I was watching it today, before we recorded, I was still like, I want that dress. This opportunity. I want that dress, Disney. Really? Yeah. Like they, I think they did it once um, back when they made another, yeah, back when they made the live action of Beauty and the Beast a few years back. But you know what? If they just made those, you know, all the princess dresses, I feel like a lot of people would go for it. Not just, I know they do it for the kids, but for the adults, like I would totally, <laughs> I there, have no shame. There is actually a, um, this is a complete side note and a ramble, so I won't, um, I won't get stuck too much on it. But at Disney, there is this thing that happens at the parks. It's not an official Disney sponsored event. It's something that fan communities have projected onto the theme parks. But it's something called Dapper Day, where people, because it, it only really happens at Magic Kingdom. I think other people have gone to parks and done it, especially Hollywood Studios, because Hollywood Studios has that 1920s feel. But 
For those of you who are or are not familiar with the Magic Kingdom, the Magic Kingdom has themed lands. And the first themed land you walk into when you walk into the Magic Kingdom before you hit the castle is uh, Main Street. And Main Street is a turn-of-the-century look, feel. All of the cast members and performers who are on Main Street are dressed in turn-of-the-century 1900s garb. So for Dapper Day, fans will show up to the park in 1900 to 1940s looking garb and all these these oh oh, as somebody who worked there and got to see it people do all kinds of cosplays or even if they're not cosplaying on a particular character or a movie some of these outfits that these people create you know whether they the ones who create them themselves the talent that these fans have or you know some of them are purchased but somebody somewhere must have saw this and realized that Disney was missing out on a huge market because all of a sudden there is a shop in downtown Disney it's not downtown Disney anymore I apologize it's Disney Springs now there is a shop at Disney Springs that the name escapes me but it sells really nice clothing and high-end bags like the Dooney and Burke Disney bags. And they started carrying a line of 1920s, 1930s, 1940s looking dresses that were all themed after Disney, different Disney things. And there was a bell one and a snow white one. And then they had one that was, you know, modeled after the Tiki room or uh, the uh, Hollywood tower of terror, whether it was the colors or the, the designs and the fabric, they, someone saw this opportunity and cashed in on it. And I feel like the dress that Giselle wears, that's where I was going with this. The, the, (laughs) the, the scene scene where Giselle wears this dress, I feel like that is totally something you would see at Dapper Day or something you would see in the store. And, you know, missed opportunity then, it wasn't a thing. But now with this whole thing, missed opportunity, Disney, get on it. Somebody's going to buy this dress. I'll buy this dress. (laughs) But yes. So, Kelly... What yes. happens after Edward shows up? Oh my goodness. It is, it is a, oof, I love it. I think it's hysterical. He knocks on the door, coming in, sees Giselle, sweeps her up in his arms, and just twirls around the room, meanwhile, knocking over everything in their path. Robert's Which is hysterical. Just, Robert's just aghast that he's actually there, comes to walk over, and Prince Edward. As he in his usual fashion, because you know what, there's a pattern of this. Whips out his sword is like, oh, you like you foul beast who has taken my beloved. And just I was like, meanwhile, more I can just picture it. They didn't show her. Morgan standing on the side, traumatized because this man is holding her father at sword point. <laughs> and, and at he, one point, at one point, she even rushes over to him. Exactly, and she's and just I was like, no, these are my friends. And immediately, Edward's like, oh, okay, that's fine then. <laughs> And at this point, Giselle, and we're gonna get not not to steal this from you, but no, Giselle has it. had Giselle has had so much character growth. Robert's had so much character growth. Even Nancy and Nathaniel, who haven't had Nathaniel's had more screen time than Nancy, they've all had character growth in different ways. 
but Edward is still the one person who has had zero character growth. And I think, again, that has to do with where he ends up at the end of the movie. But I will let you take, take a, I will let you keep going. Okie dokie. Is that um, such a typical th I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again. I'm not no, going to go for you, it. I'm not going to let you keep going. I apologize. Where it's I was okay. going where I was going with that was um that whole like you said again he holds somebody at sword point. He has the same typical storybook reaction that he would to anybody who he thought was holding Giselle harm. That's the way you would expect a Disney character or especially a Disney prince to react to their princess being in danger. So the whole point of both those rambles was that Edward has had zero, zero character growth and he's still reacting the way he would have at the beginning of the movie. Whereas everybody around him, whether they're from his animated world or real life, New York city has developed in some way, shape or form. I'm really glad you brought that up though, because you can kind of parallel his non-existent growth to Giselle's because after he um, disarms himself, he puts his sword away, he starts singing and Robert in typical fashion, he sings too, huh? But um, he, he starts singing and eventually Giselle's just listening and nodding her head and smiling. And he's like, to finish, like he expects her, she doesn't finish his duet. And I think that's just another example of her growth. And he's like, you're not singing. And she's like, oh, I was thinking. And he's like, thinking you what about and she's like we should go on what is get. thinking <laughs> exactly and i it just brings that you can't marry someone you just met a day and robert instilled this idea on her you know you go on dates you get to know them and she kind of looks to robert for reassurance and you can see he kind of encourages her non-verbally he's like yes stick to your guns and she's like i want to go on a date and he's like Alrighty then, and lovable idiot that he is, sweet cinnamon roll, he just goes along with it. And poor Giselle, you can see, she is not in, um, after they say their goodbye, they go on this date, they flash forward, you see Edward just donned in New York paraphernalia. He's got I a thought mug. that was so funny. He's got I like the it. New York, he's got like the statue. <laughs> he's got like every typical tourist thing on him where he's got like the foam Statue of Liberty like <laughs> crown thingy on his head. He's got like mugs and lanyards all over him. He's eating a hot dog. Oh, that was the that was the best. She's like, Oh, are you enjoying your hot dog? And he looks so upset and she's like no no that's it's not really a dog yeah she's like it's not a dog that's what they just call it and he's like oh okay yes it's delicious it's been a splendid date but it's time to go home now and, and the other and again just uh no character growth did you catch that when Giselle and Edward are leaving Robert he looks at Robert and he says thank <laughs> you for taking care of my bride peasants yes and I'm like, oh, that I mean, modest as ever, Edward. I guess modest as ever. I love it. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he's he's like, you know, we did the date thing. Are you ready to go back? And she's like, she's not having. It's not that she's not having a good time, because she agrees that it's a pleasant date. 
but she's not her heart's not in it her heart's not in it and i agree and you can tell she's worried that her heart's not in it so he's like you know come on let's go home and she's like no not yet and he's like well what what else how long do dates usually last and she's like well what about a ball and he's like yes because that's something he can relate to as well he's like yes let's go to a ball so Earlier in the film, there was this advertisement for a king and queen's ball that, along with the flowers and the doves, uh, Giselle sends two tickets for Robert and Nancy to go to this ball as kind of like a makeup gift. And Giselle asks Edward to take her to this ball. So all four of our main characters end up at this ball in New York City, but every good ball needs a party crasher. Yes. And before we get to that real quick, I feel like it's important to mention the beautiful shopping montage and oh, conversation that follows between Giselle and Morgan. Take it away, my friend. Cause that's, oh, no. I was going to say, I'll, I'll start you finish. So yes. So okay. uh, once, once Giselle decides that there is this, ball that she wants to go to she realizes that she can't wear this party this it's not a party dress she's wearing she realizes she has nothing to wear so she ends up back at robert's apartment and morgan lets her in uh it's just her and morgan if robert's around he's not in the scene um and she's like morgan she's like i'm going to the ball she's like and i have nothing to wear and morgan morgan this is where morgan's I character this is where morgan's character sealed the deal for me because giselle's character is like i don't even know where i would find a fairy godmother and morgan just looks at her and she <laughs> says i have something better than a fairy godmother and she goes into robert's sock drawer and she pulls out his credit card and she's like daddy says this is only for an emergency this is an emergency and i remember even at 17 i was like oh yeah Yes, good girl, Morgan. Good girl. This is an emergency. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, yes. So, uh, yes. I'll let you finish because, as as you agree, you you remembered it, and I completely forgot it. But you're right. This is an adorable scene between the two of them. So they just go on this shopping montage, and it is so cute. They carry their bags from shop to shop. And it ends in a salon. And it's an important point to mention earlier on in the film, like during the restaurant scene, we find out that Morgan's mother, you know, she didn't die. They didn't get uh, divorced or it's not mentioned fully, but the mother left. So the mother's not in the picture. And as they end this montage, you see Morgan and Giselle in the salon and Morgan sitting there. And in just like typical childlike innocence, it takes you off guard. It's heart wrenching and cute at the same time. She's like, is this what it's like to shop with your mom? And you see Giselle look up and she's like, I don't know, I never shopped with my mother. And she's like, but I like it. And it's just so, it just, it hits you. It hits you right in the gut. And it does, it's just, it does. Uh, it's a sweet, sweet scene. And it's like, it just, it fit perfectly to be put at that moment. It was the lull we needed in between action after that montage to help switch over to the ball scene. And Maria, you said it best. It's not a party without a party crasher. And I'll let you take over on that one. After Giselle and Edward make their entrance, Giselle meets Robert's eye, Nancy and them all, you know, they get acquainted. Nancy is very taken with the way Prince Edward introduces Giselle, you know, I think he said 
the love of my life and everything. And then it goes on. Yes. So simultaneously, while we're seeing our four leads at this ball, which is yes. a costume ball. And again, this is the outfit that Robert is wearing, that the mannequin is wearing. It's the outfit that Robert is wearing because it's a, it's a costume ball. Um, so everybody is in, you know, costumed fairy tale garb or historical looking garb. And mm. Giselle shows up in this gorgeous, modern, form-fitting, sleek purple gown. And I, mm. that was a callback to Ariel because Ariel's clamshell bra is purple. And I, I remember hearing that at the time, that that was why the dress is purple. Um, But... She's the only one, and again, character growth, because Edward is still, Edward has not changed his clothes, and he's still in his puffy-sleeved formal <laughs> outfit that oh, is also, it's, it's modeled after Prince Philip's puffy out, puffy-sleeved formal outfit from the end of Sleeping Beauty, but he hasn't changed, so he fits right in, but Giselle, you know, whether for character growth or stylized reasons, so she sticks out in the scene and you're able to find her. Uh, she's in this gorgeous modern sleek ball gown that, again, I always thought was so pretty. Um, but while they're all simultaneously getting acquainted, out in Times Square, the manhole cover that has been continuously removed and put back is now projected into <laughs> air and it smashes into the, is it the Coca-Cola billboard? I think it is. Yeah, it this this with with such force this manhole cover is projected into the uh air and lands on the Coca-Cola uh yeah, excuse me, lands on the Coca-Cola projector because Queen Narissa has completely had it with Nathaniel's inability to get Giselle to eat a poison apple and he's down two apples. He only has one left. So she's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm showing up and I'll take care of it myself. So Queen Narissa lands in Times Square in New York City and she finds Nathaniel and she's like, okay, where are they? Let's get the show on the road. And Nathaniel's like, well, they're at a they're at a party in uh this ball. And she's like, great, let's go. So uh, you know, sweep back to the party. You get this this really Nancy's not a hundred percent happy that Giselle is there, but she's at least happy that Giselle is there with somebody else and you know she has Robert. But um the uh MC who is conducting the band and the band director, he announces that the next song is meant to be danced with somebody who you did not arrive with. And naturally, it's this slow song. It's called So Close. I believe that's the name of the song. And yes. it is, this scene is a beautiful, it's, it's bittersweet because the words in the song are not a happy song because it's picking up on the fact that Giselle and Robert are falling in love and that at this point, you're thinking they're not going to end up together. So it's it's a bittersweet song, but because Giselle and Robert did not arrive together, they end up dancing together, and Nancy and Prince Edward dance together. And so many Disney princess movies have great ballroom scenes, particularly Beauty and the Beast. So I think they said this was 
trying to be really reminiscent of that ballroom dancing scene, you know, the big chandelier, the big chandelier in it. So Robert and Giselle are having this very intimate moment, this very intimate dance around this floor. And just as it was symbolic that she didn't finish Edward's duet, she doesn't finish the dance with Robert either because Nancy, I guess Nancy sees that they're enjoying themselves a little too much and uh, she uh, taps Robert on the shoulder and she's like, mind if I cut in? And Giselle, being the good woman that she is, she's like, no, not at all. You know, use your date. So Giselle goes back with Edward and they're getting ready to leave the ball. And as the song ends, you know, Giselle looks at Robert and Nancy dancing and they kiss at the end of the song. And so just as, just as you're starting to feel bad for Giselle, our party crashes shows up only Queen Narissa. <laughs> Queen Narissa now is donning the old hag look and she has transformed herself into the old hag that she was at the beginning of the film when she pushed Giselle down the wishing well that started this whole mess where she ends up in New York City. And Giselle's like, you, you brought me here. This is your fault. And Narissa's like, no, 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 it was an accident. I didn't mean to. And she um, she's looking at Giselle watching Robert and she's like, oh, you fell in love with another. And she's like, yes, but I have Edward. And she's like, oh, I can fix that. And she hands her the last apple. And she's like, you know, all you have to do is take one bite of this and all your all your dreams and wishes will come true. Because where have we heard that before? Exactly. So. She takes a bite of this apple, and because it's the traditional Disney trope of a poison apple, she falls asleep. What I love about this part is just this whole this whole scene from the moment the dance ended to the very final film scene of the ball. It's just as yeah, as Giselle collapses, she drops the apple. And the apple rolls down the stair the stairs and journeys and hits Robert right in the foot. And he bends down and pick it, picks it up. And then, then the camera cuts and it shows Giselle being loaded into the elevator by the evil queen. And you see her start begin transforming, doing an evil laugh. And then Edward's sword just stops the elevator from closing. And even Edward in all his lovable idiot glory, like he notices something's wrong. And she's like, oh no, Giselle's fine. She's just sleeping. I was just taking her out from some air. You know, she's just, she was trying to brush it off. And I just love, I love the way she did it. Um, but yeah, Edward immediately picks her up. He's like, I need some help. A sofa immediately appears. They lower Giselle on. Um, in the crowd, Robert sees what's going on. He immediately dashes away from Nancy, says, call the police, and tries to go see what's up with Giselle. Mm -hmm. And, yes, he hands Nancy his phone. He's like, call 911. He runs up and, uh, you know, because like, like you said, a sofa was magically placed because sofas just <laughs> pop, up, pop up out of thin air when you need one. And, uh, the clock is chiming 12. It's starting to chime. And that's a callback again to another unknown Disney movie. I don't know what Disney movie has. A Cinderella? Clock, was clock being, strike 12? I was being facetious, but yes. Oh, oh no, <laughs> like that, that's okay. I love it. Yes, yeah, Cinderella. So um, that was unconscious and they come to the realization that true love's kiss will wake her up. But the 
problem is there's two men who love Giselle. So who's going to kiss her? So that they kind of, they kind of like look at each other and it's like, you no you, no you. And Edward, Edward kind of is like, I'm going to do it. I'm her prince. And he's like, I love when he turns and looks at the camera and he's like, I knew that. <laughs> like, like I knew that. I knew that. Because Robert um, is the one who comes up with the idea and he's like, oh yeah. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love that. Cause yeah, it's, it's like true love's kiss. And, and yeah, again, that goof. I knew that. Yeah. Um, but he kisses Giselle. And the clock is chiming, and it's not working. She didn't wake up. And he's the one who looks at Robert, and he's like, it has to be you. And Robert's like, no, I, I barely know her. Like, he he starts making all these excuses. He's like, I don't know her. We just met. No, it's not me. It's you. And this is where Nancy comes in. And I just so mm -hmm. many props to her. She's like, Robert, just kiss her. It's okay. Yeah. And you see Robert, once he got the okay, you see his expression change. And as he goes to walk over to, Z to Z yeah, excuse me, to Giselle, you know, he bends down and you mentioned it off camera. Like what he says, he says, like, please don't leave me. And then yeah, he, he kisses her. He mouths it to her. Like it's really low. And he's like, please don't leave me. And I remember being 17 and that, that totally won me over as a as a doe-eyed 17-year-old. And I, I felt I think I felt in love with Robert's character in that moment if I already hadn't. I'm telling you, um, these movies set the bar and expectations far too high for reality. <laughs> way too high. Way, way too high. Alrighty, so you see him kiss Giselle. The clock strikes 12. It's very dramatic, and it doesn't immediately work. And I like the fact that they always, like, even if it's somewhat out of focus, they keep everyone's reaction in view for most of the main characters. You see everyone go crestfallen. And then all of a sudden, Giselle comes back to life. And it's it's just perfect. And they go for it. They have true love's kiss. Everything's all good. But the queen is not having it. And you, I like um, one of the partygoers' comments, oh, this, this show is better than last year. The evil queen immediately breaks away from being held at sword point by Nathaniel and says, oh, you want a show? I'll give you a show. And she transforms into this evil fire-breathing dragon. And she's like, all right, new narrative. And she basically spins this tale. She's like, I know, an evil, dra an evil beast came and killed everyone. And now no one can take my crown, essentially. She takes Robert as he's like over my dead body, like you're not getting to Giselle. Um, she takes Robert up to the top of the building and says, come on, Giselle, like as in come face me. Hmm. Every, you yeah, see she, everyone, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh no, I was just gonna say, yeah, she like takes him and she's like, come along, you don't wanna miss this ending. And by the way, the, the two women in the back who were like, oh, I you know, love it. that's us. <laughs> the two women who are like, oh, this is better than last year's performance. That's us. But yes, Same. and Giselle, Giselle has a real uh, character progression at this moment because she's yes. like one of the first Disney princesses up to save herself. I think at this point, the only other Disney princess who had been this fourth was Mulan. Mulan and Pocahontas were really two of the first Disney princesses to to take the story into their own hands and make a decision. But Giselle propels that situation even further because she picks up Edward's sword and she runs yeah. outside to face this uh, dragon, which is a callback to Maleficent 
troll in Sleeping Beauty when she turns into the dragon. Um, she, and she's like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm going to get my prince back and I'm going to face you. Exactly. And even more so, she drops her slipper, call back to Cinderella. And I like that yeah. too, because it's almost as if she's leaving behind that princess life and being like, no, I'm saving myself. I'm saving the man I love. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> But yes, um, so she goes um, She goes climbing up. Again, torrential downpour. It's funny because thinking on it, it seems a lot of important events in Giselle's life happens during storms. Um, oh, yeah. So you see her going up to face the dragon. Camera cuts back. You see Nancy, Prince Edward, and now Pip trapped in a hamster ball. And it's funny because throughout the film, Prince Edward can never understand Pip. And this is the moment he actually does. And you see Pip pantomiming and squeaking. And Edward's like, what? You, you want to go help Giselle? You want to be let out and kill the dragon once and for all? Oh, why didn't you just say so? I thought that was so funny. I love it. Because like you said, that's been a gag throughout the movie is that Giselle is always right around the corner from Edward and Pip always knows it. <laughs> and Pip is trying to tell Giselle, tell Edward that Giselle is there or he's trying to tell him that Nathaniel is evil. And just the whole time, Edward has <laughs> no idea what's going on. But when it counts, Edward gets it right. Exactly. So he releases Pip. Pip salutes him and goes to work, reunites with Giselle. And it's the big showdown. And you see the um, the queen climbing higher and higher. Um, Robert calling out, let me go, let me go. Giselle makes a stab, gets one in on the dragon. But, you know, it's still not doing much. Pip um, go calling back to earlier on in the film with, as they were fighting the troll. Pip with his weight, there was a gag that he needs to lay off the nuts because he's so heavy. Mm. He sees the how she's hanging off at the top and the pole slowly leaning and being dragged down by her weight. So he goes up to add that little extra piece of weight to finally break the pole and release her grip upon it. And as she does, she drops Robert and Giselle being the badass heroine that she now is, throws Edward's sword and it just catches him right at the right moment. The evil queen tries to transform herself back but she's interrupted as she hits one of the, I believe it was one of the, what's the word, tower or pillar. And yeah, she the falls. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. And she falls okay. to her death. Yes. I Queen Nerissa. And again, <laughs> it's another trope with modern Disney villains dying at their own hand. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes, big hunchback of Notre Dame vibes. Especially with the fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so now we have Giselle and Robert on a rooftop. They kiss and they solidify their story. You know they're going to end up together. Um, then I we a little quote where she's like, is this what you do? Fall off of stuff? Because that's what he said to her when they first met and she fell off the billboard. And he's like, only when you're there to catch me. Yes, I thought that was so cute. At 17, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, I was like, yep, she threw he she threw his words back at him. Full um, circle. Full circle. I love it. And uh, then we the book turns the page because don't forget, we're still in a storybook. Uh, the book turns the page and you see Edward and Nancy. Nancy picks up Giselle's shoe and she feels kind of dejected that, you know, this guy she had spent five years in a relationship with has run off with another girl, but it's all good. Cause she knew she loved him and that Robert doing, didn't do anything sinister. 
But Edward is also missing his leading lady. So they kind of look at each other and he puts her after a little bit of dialogue, they, he picks up Giselle's shoe and, you know, uh, Nancy has a Cinderella moment where he puts the shoe on her and he's like, it's a perfect fit. And the two look at each other. And then the next thing you see is them running down the street through Times Square up to the manhole cover. And they both jump through the manhole cover. And then the next thing you see is a fully animated scene of Prince Edward and Giselle at their wedding. And they're getting married. And again, character growth, because I would have never, I never saw that coming for Nancy because looking back at 17, I never picked that up. And now, like I said, I can see that, you know, she was more receptive to Edward's grand gestures and the romantic lifestyle. So it works for her and she's had that character That's progression. True. But like I said, getting back to Edward, the fact that he's had zero character growth, he was already that perfect storybook character. So I think that in order for him to go back and have a happy ending, he couldn't have progressed as a character because then he, then him and Nancy it wouldn't would have, have been, worked for him. Exactly. They would have been off kilt, off kilter. That's um, true. That's the only critique I have about this film is I wish that there would have been just one more scene between Nancy and Edward before they got to that point. But I completely agree with what you said, because it does make sense. If he were to have that type of growth, that ending no longer would have been enough for him. Yes, but even beyond growth, I would have wanted just a little more dialogue or a song or a scene yeah. between Edward and Nancy. And that actually, they had a song that was between Edward and Nancy and they cut it for time's sake and um, oh. like they cut it for time's sake and tempo's sake because they felt like it was slowing down the movie. And I get that because sometimes that does happen, but I really cool. wish that that's my one gripe with this film. My one overall gripe as far as something that doesn't work for me or something that I wish they had done more or changed. I wish we would have gotten a little bit more of Nancy and Edward's relationship coming together because if this was an animated film, I would buy it because your expectations for an animated film versus a live action film are different. And even though, even though mm. this movie has elements of both, it's an over it's major the majority of the film is a live action film. And again, this could just be me looking at the film through adult eyes, but even at 17, I wanted a little bit more of Nancy and Edward's relationship before they got married. But nonetheless, I accept because I know they're happy together. Exactly. And then there's also always that suspension of disbelief. So how much the audience is willing to believe in in the established world. So I right. get it. I get yeah. it because it is half animation, half live action. But you know, if for the future, for the future, I'd like to see more Edward development. But oh, but yes, after as we see this wedding, we um, you know, you have ever ever after the song by Carrie Underwood playing in the background. We see them getting married, Nancy kind of rejecting her old life and throwing out her cell phone and accepting this yes. new world. I thought that was so cute. I love it. And they have the little woodland creatures um, looking on and being in attendance at the wedding. Um, mm -hmm. Then it switches over. You see um, Nathaniel as well as Pip. It's kind of interesting. They do a cut from the real world with Nathaniel. He wrote a book vanquishing the evil queen he seems to be doing better for himself with new confidence it cuts to the animation you see pip back in the forest 
he's selling his own book, Silence Isn't Golden, which I thought was so poetic. Yes. <laughs> poetic. Yes. Um, and then it just kind of leaves off with Giselle, Robert, and Morgan in the apartment. And they're just dancing. They're having a great time. And you had mentioned it off camera. Um, the apartment looks more lively. There are flowers. And it just, it seems like a home now. And it's just, it was a really sweet ending. And they ended it with, you know, they closed the end and closed the book in typical storybook fashion. And I thought it was very well done. Yes. Yes. They, they carried out that storybook trope to the end where it was written in the stars, the end. Then, you know, the narration of Julie Andrews comes out over the book and closes the story. And that's, that's enchanted. Oh, and it's important to know oh. there's not much info um, released about it yet. But they've been working on a sequel called Disenchanted for quite a few years, and our three main actors are on board for it, but they're kind of hesitant to put hope into it because it's been trying to be made for quite a while. But keep an eye out, listeners, because there's a very real possibility that maybe in a few years there could be a sequel. So I did hear that, and, and yeah, it's like once a year you hear something about it. So hmm. yeah, so that, that maybe, especially now with Disney+, Plus. I feel like that platform allows for more. Well, I feel like it allows for more creativity because True. Disney's only real outlet before that was something to go on the Disney channel as a made for TV production or a big theatrical release movie. Whereas streaming services are now that kind of middle ground where you can do bigger, more serious productions, but it's not, it's not a feature film. It's not, it's, it's not as grand or it doesn't have that grandiose. Very true. So who knows? Maybe Disenchanted will pop up on something like Disney Plus. So yeah, that's Enchanted. Um, IMDb, because we all, IMDb reigns. Uh, IMDb yes. gave it a 7 out of 10, while Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 93% fresh rating. And I feel like that is the general consensus that still stands. Yeah. Um, who is your favorite character? Oh, I always have trouble with this because I feel like I I always pick a few. Um, Me too. Not my favorite, but real quick, honorable mention. Pip is the MVP. He went through quite a bit. He is the greatest sidekick chipmunk that a girl could have. Um, I don't know. I I don't want to say. I don't know. I you know what? I'll go with Giselle, but. Prince Edward is kind of second because you know what? I, I love his comedic timing. I love the fact that, you know, he never, he never like made Giselle feel bad for what happened. He was kind of very accepting in his fashion. And yeah, I'd say those are my few favorites. What about you? So my favorite character is Robert. Oh, he is a good one. He is a good yeah. one to have. An honorable mention for me would be Morgan. Yes. But at 17, I have to go back to the first time I saw this movie. And as a typical 17, starry eyed 17 year old, I was in love with Patrick Dempsey at the time because he was every, <laughs> he was everywhere, especially with his role at the time on Grey's Anatomy. He was everywhere. And I thought, I thought he was very good looking and very handsome. And even beyond his charm and good looks, his character. I always knew, I knew he was going to end up with Giselle because I just felt like I saw where that was going. 
Mm. But I I really like the journey his character goes on. And I feel like it's a good reminder because sometimes you can tell whatever Robert went through before the movie begins, whatever happens off screen in his world is obviously something made him very calculating and very cold and not want yes. to believe in romance. And he made him kind of jaded, but Giselle's warmth and genuine charm and genu genuinity is kind of what softens him. And I feel like that's a reminder that people have to remember. I feel like this world that we live in, it doesn't need any help making you jaded, but sometimes, sometimes it is good to take a chance on love or take a chance on something in general, because you don't know what's going to happen. I love the way you put that. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. But yes. I, I like I like the way you said that. And I think that kind of factored in too because like the ages that we watch this film, like it makes sense that like like a little more like why the characters were our favorites cuz back then of course Giselle was my favorite. <laughs> I I love Giselle. I really do love Giselle. Like I, again, I'm like you. I really have a hard time picking just one. <laughs> um, I think all of these main characters have something really great to bring to the story and the Definitely. way their the way their particular characters progress is what make this what makes this as good as it is. But yeah, if I had because I could I could go on and on about Edward and Giselle too, because as I said, I think Edward is the main uh char is he's the he's the real comedic relief everybody has funny moments but edward is the consistent comedic relief and uh giselle did uh, amy adams gives a phenomenal performance but if i had to pick a favorite character uh i'm gonna pick uh robert so what is your favorite I, song I'm oh pick. i'm so sorry i'm jumping oh, no, ahead it's all right. i'm jumping ahead please go <laughs> no, ahead it's okay no i was just gonna say that's a good pick to have well, thank you um, and I like yours. Yours are great as well. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite song in the movie? Uh, you know what? It's, that's how you know. It, that, that's my favorite song that they sing. And I think my favorite song to listen, I mean, I don't, probably that doesn't make sense what I just said, but um, So Close, the song at the ball. Mm -hmm. But if I had to pick the one like that they physically sung themselves, it's that's mm -hmm. how you know because I it just gets stuck in your head and honestly ever since I watched rewatched the movie that's all that's all that's up there. Agreed. And I remember when this movie came out, this I bought the soundtrack from the Disney store, and because I'm me, I had the soundtrack in my car and I used to listen to this album quite a bit. Um, but yes, so I have to agree with you. Um, I was going to pick. Uh, the ball, the song at the ball is my favorite song, but I think that category is going to take the next, I think that the next category I have for you to question is going to be that. But I think my favorite song is the, that's how, you know, an honorable mention would be the happy working song that Giselle sings oh. when they're all cleaning because that's that just what I, I really, really, it's, it's very worthy, but I really, really love how, you know, and I think you're right. It's such a, it's a catchy song that stays in your head. And, you know, the fact that it took 17 days to complete Oof. in production, I, that, that deserves it right there. It really does. And that acrobatic work as well with the, um, the other gentlemen and ladies in the scene. 
much appreciated. A lot of kudos to them because there's so much going on. I don't know how I would be able to keep track of where everyone is placed. Agreed. This, this, uh, this, that scene is really one of the highlights of this whole movie, even though Definitely. it's a song. So as far as scenes go, what is your favorite scene? Oh, hmm. I, you know, there are many honorable mentions, but you know what? I'm going to be, I'm going to make a decision for once. And I'm going to say, you know what? That final battle scene, I, there was something about it, you know, Giselle running into face the evil queen. I really, it hit home. I liked that. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I'm not far from you. I am actually, I'm right behind you. So I am a sentimentalist and that whole, the whole ball scene between probably from when Giselle arrives, probably up until the fight. Um, <laughs> not that I don't love the fight, but just everybody's exchanges and that whole scene of from when Giselle and Edward arrive all the way to when Robert wakes up Giselle. I think the, that song that is played, that that's just my favorite scene. I remember I really, and, and when I think of this movie, the two parts that I think of when I think of this movie are this ball scene and that fight at the end and the that's how you know. Like those are the two things that come to mind with this movie. I gotcha. So yeah, so I think it's safe to say we both really like this movie. Yes. Um, we have rambled on and on about it for quite a long time. <laughs> it was so, a good chat though. It was a good chat. We always have wonderful productive chats. And yes. speaking of wonderful productive chats, next time, we are going to be leaving the Disney world behind. So we've done Lion King and we've done Enchanted. But on our uh, cover art for the podcast, we have a castle, but we also have superheroes and space, spacey looking things. And the spacey things have to do with both of us and our love for a galaxy far, far away. And yes. um, next time we meet, we are going to be talking about Star Wars, specifically The so, Mandalorian. So be ready for that, my friends. Yes, that is going to be your October episode. Um, and that will be our first episode where it's not just you and I yammering on and on. We are going to have company for that episode. Yes. So that'll be fun, too. You get to meet some individuals that we know I mean, I'm probably the novice when it comes to Star Wars because I'm very new to the fandom. But you, Kelly, and our guests, I think you guys are going to end up taking the lead <laughs> because I'm I'm new to the Star Wars party, so everybody will get a break from hearing me. No, you're fine. And I think you've caught up very quickly. Like, I won't get into it. We can talk about it next time. But this yeah. woman watched many movies in one day, <laughs> and she was a trooper. It was a long day. <laughs> I, I think you got this. That's right. We did that together. We did that we together did. With, with the people who are going to be on the podcast. So, yes, yes. that's going to be a fun day. Yes. So <laughs> this episode, that's Enchanted. Yeah. So that's that's Enchanted. And next time we meet, we're going to be switching gears to a galaxy far, far away where we cover the Mandalorian. But, yeah. And by the way, Kelly, I was just about to sign off. But guess what, Kelly? What? We have our first review on iTunes. Someone, oh. someone, one gracious, and we only have one at the moment, and uh, they did it. It's still exciting. I'm, it's really exciting. <laughs> we don't, we don't have a written review, but they gave us five out of five stars. 
That is so sweet, whoever you are. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Please keep those reviews and those subscriptions coming. We really appreciate it, and it does a lot for the show as far as helping us getting out there. If you liked hearing what we had to say on this podcast, uh, I actually do another podcast that's of a completely different topic, yes. of a much more serious topic, and you will be hearing Kelly on that podcast as well, considering we all run in the same circles. But I am <laughs> on another podcast that is called Operation History, where my friends Derek, Lauren, David, and myself, we dive into um, different historical topics and ideas. We all have... Um, undergraduate and master's degrees in histories. Um, I'm starting my master's program in the fall. Uh, Lauren right now is our only master's degree candidate, but all of us have some type of history background and that's what we do. We have a podcast where we talk about history. So if you would like to catch up with me and those folks over there for a more serious uh, academia-related topic, you can catch us there. But if fandoms and Disney princesses and galaxies far, far away and superheroes are more your thing, you can stick with Kelly and I. You won't be disappointed either way, I promise. And as we go on, we will get more confident and it will be a little smoother sales. So please have patience with us. But thank you for listening and we hope to see you back next time. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes, we, we will get better. And uh, we really appreciate everybody out there listening. And thank you very much. And yeah, until next time when we talk about The Mandalorian, this has been It's a Fan's World. We'll see you real soon. Fans World has no association with any of the companies, organizations, or studios mentioned in this podcast. The views and expressions of the hosts and guests are theirs and theirs alone, and do not represent any companies or institutions that they currently work at or attend, or have previously worked for or previously attended in the past. We thank you for listening and tune in next time to join us.